the optimal life. So start off with us. Tell us exactly what, what, how do you define foster child? So a foster child is any child that's been removed from their home and placed in the foster care system. And the reason they may have been removed are many. Uh, could be abuse, could be neglect. When I say neglect, I'm talking about the kids left over the weekend to fend for themselves. Um, neglect is uh, they've got 10 dogs and they've got dog poop all over the house. Uh, roaches are running rampant. Uh, the kids, um, uh, I mean, it gets worse than that for some kids. But uh, these are some of the reasons that kids get taken away from their parents and placed in foster care. How do they typically find out that these kids are being subjected to such horrendous conditions? What is the general way people find that out? That's a great question. Before COVID, teachers were a big part of the uh, group of adults who would be able to identify that a child was being abused or neglected. And that was one of the biggest problems we had with COVID is because kids weren't in front of these adults who could see them day in and day out, see their moods, uh, notice things that uh, a lot of the experts have been worried through COVID and uh, legitimately so that a lot of kids were being abused during COVID and nobody knew about it. So uh, we have the first responders in a way, the teachers, administrators, also um and they're actually required by law in most states, if not all states now, to report abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, others can be relatives. Uh, the problem with relatives, though, is relatives are like, well, maybe Susan's having an off week or maybe it's just my imagination. Uh, so family can help sometimes, and they do. Uh, but um, it's actually that third-party person mm. who uh, often steps up or it. Sometimes it may actually be a child where the abuse is just so bad, they will talk to another adult. So what's the process, generally speaking? Because somebody makes a phone call and says, hey, my cousin, she's neglecting her children. There's obviously the police or whoever doesn't just show up and then say, children, you're coming with us. What is the process then that the system uses to extract the children from the home? Well, it really could be similar to what you said uh, in a way that uh, the caseworker will come or contact the family and uh, do some due diligence to uh, determine if the child is being abused. I, I'll give you the flip side of that. So there was a story we reported on years ago where a boy was outside, about seven years old. He had a chain around his neck. He was chained to the porch um, fence. He had a raw chicken hanging from his neck very strange situation police came out and they saw this they said kid what are you doing here he said well my mom did this to me and they said no 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 didn't believe it and fortunately for the kid the police knocked on the door the mom answered they said look we got some questions for you they came inside and they found out the place was just filthy and they took the kids immediately to call social services and that woman happened to be a supervisor of child protective services. Oh, God. So it's really a mix of what kind of reporting is done. Again, we see this in movies and TV shows where someone says, I think the child's being abused and child protective services will come out, check the home. And that really can be the, what 
sets off that child being removed is that once they get inside the home, they see what's going on. Right. But I would assume there's got to be still something legally, right? There's got to be more than just somebody showing up and, and taking the kid from the home. It's, You're right. Right. With like, I, it's like a search warrant or there's got to be some kind of judicial process, I would imagine, that allows the government employee the authority to then say, this child is coming with us. You're right. And what has been happening is that uh, the courts are involved in that. So a caseworker will present their information and say, I think this child is being abused. We want to go in and the judges will sign off on it. Again, I'm going to give you the flip side. What has happened, for instance, in Arizona until recently, kids were being taken away from the home and then they did a state review and they were finding out, well, Kids seem to be going back to their home after like 10 days. What's the cause of this? Why are we taking kids out, putting them in foster care, and then all of a sudden, a week and a half later, they're going back home? What they found out is in almost every case, they had not been presented to a judge. Once the judge had seen it, after about 7 to 10 days, they were saying, no, this wasn't legit. No, you didn't have good grounds for this. No, take the kid and put them back. So they actually created and passed a state law saying you must go before a judge. So it's a great point because unfortunately emotions get involved, biases, prejudices get involved when it comes to caseworkers. And we have to have the courts to step in and make sure that people's rights, the rights of the parents are not being abused. No doubt. So when they do take the kids away, are they taking them to a special, these are called foster homes. Where there is, is it like the movie, like Annie? It's a hard knock life. In a way, yes. Uh, they are going to go to an office. Uh, the child is going to be uh, interviewed when they're at a foster, you know, uh, care office. So, and at that time, they're going to decide how and where to put the child. One of the first things they'll do is get on the phone if they can. See, we can find an aunt, a grandparent, someone nearby who can come by and get the kids. That would be preferable. But if that's not possible, now we got to look at, do we have maybe an emergency foster member, uh, an adult who has said, you know what, 2 o'clock in the morning, Saturday, no problem. You let me know. I'll take a kid in. And there are people like that, that they're there for emergencies to take in a child. And then we'll try to put them there. Worst case scenario, and this does happen, though, they may end up sleeping on an office floor. And when you call them foster children, whoever's taking them in under this foster care system is not their legally adopted parent. Is that correct? Absolutely. These are complete strangers who have gone through a process to learn how to be a foster parent, how to care for a child. There's some training on the trauma that they may experience in receiving that child. So there's some preparation there. And there's also vetting. That's the most important part. They vetted these adults, hopefully by following their process to ensure that these are not pedophiles, abusive people to begin with who are taking in that child. Yes. So is the is the foster parent a temporary figurehead then until you could find a more permanent home? How how does that work? So, yes, the foster parent is temporary. That is the idea. Foster care was never meant to be full-time 
years. Right. And you years. don't you don't take a five year old from the home and then they wait till they're eighteen in a foster home, correct? Typically. Well, no. I mean, if you take a child who's five years old, hopefully, uh, one they're with a relative. If that doesn't happen immediately, then they're in a foster home. That's best. Right, There's but you wouldn't, another... you wouldn't expect them to remain in that foster home for 13 years until they're adults, correct? No, you, hopefully you try the to system, get them out. Yeah, hopefully the system is working, and that is their big focus is reunification. And more than 50% of the kids do go back to their parents. Mm, okay. So why is that? What, what does the parent then have to do to show that they have been re rehabilitated to allow their children back to them? They do have training courses, so let's say it was – anger management or let's just say they were stressed or they just didn't have the right parenting skills we see these posters out there as we're driving and say babies don't come with a, a manual and they're right they don't and a lot of people they're taking their cues from their parents who may have been lousy parents and really have no idea how to be a good parent despite the fact that they love the child so, so where do you where do you come into this equation? Obviously, you've been doing this work for decades now. And what is it the goal of your your forever home for foster kids? What's the goal of your organization? What's your mission? So, our mission is to get the children back to family. So, let's take your scenario real quickly. Child gets removed from the parents. We want to find relatives. Can't find relatives. Or in this case, let's say the kids are have relatives who are living outside the U.S., in Latin America specifically. The people at the foster care office don't read Spanish, don't speak Spanish, so they're clueless. They have no idea how to locate these people. That's when they come to us. So we specialize in this very special area called family finding. That's where we make the list of relatives, we locate each relative, and then the agency can notify them and say, hey, Maria or Johnny is here in foster care now. Would you like to step up and take care of them? And if you get enough of these relatives, that's the idea behind family finding. You get a lot of relatives. Someone will step up and say, yes, I'll take them in. It might be a grandma, an aunt, an older cousin. But the job we do is we bridge that gap between I know we have a relative somewhere. I don't know how to find them. And we go out internationally in Latin America and we track them down in countries like Brazil, Dominican Republic, Guatemala. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, yeah. But so but what I'm trying to connect the dots here is that when the child is taken from the home, mm -hmm. don't these relatives typically know that that has happened? Or is it oftentimes the case they don't have a clue that the parent has just lost control or authority, you know, lost the uh, ability to take care of their own child. Very often it's number two, the fact that the family, let's think about how many times have people gotten together, we got to have Thanksgiving coming up, and said, oh, she's got a new boyfriend. I didn't know that. Oh, they got divorced. No one told me. Oh, they're going to be expecting a baby. Wow. Families aren't as connected as we might think they are. And so it's very easy for people to uh, hide that information. A lot of parents, they're angry, so they're not going to tell anybody. Or they're embarrassed, depending upon their culture, so they're not going to tell anybody because they don't want that shame to be passed around in the family and ultimately to their friends. So people will hide information. 
on purpose. Sometimes it's simply, you know, they know of relatives, but they themselves have not tracked them down. I had this happen at a funeral and I knew my different sides of the family. And so my brothers and sisters were like, well, who was that? Well, that was your aunt Betty. Well, who's she? And I'm explaining who these people are. They never met these people. They didn't know they existed. So yes, it's very common for families not to know other relatives. And that's part of the problem sometimes in finding a relative for a child that people are like, I only know one relative. I don't know who else to tell you. So do you, is it a common example, if I'm following you here, you have foster kids here in the United States who are taken from a home, but the family members, the extended family may be living in South America, for example. And then yes. you're taking them from a foster home here in the States and they're being um, sent back to their foreign land. Great question. And no, that doesn't usually happen. What does happen is that we'll find, so we'll find a, a mother who was divorced from the father. Kids were staying with the father and the mother has her relatives. Let's use Brazil. Almost always those relatives will say, you know what? They, that girl has an aunt living in Los Angeles. And I'll give you a real story. So we had three girls, four, eight, and 10. They had told the caseworker, we have two aunts living in Chicago. But that's all they could tell them because they're too young. They said, auntie is living in Chicago. Where's auntie live? I don't know. Do you have a phone number? I don't So this kept going on for months. And they also knew that part of the family was living in Mexico. So they came to my nonprofit, Forever Homes, said, can you find the mother and any extended relatives in Mexico? Sure. Three weeks later, that's all it took for us was to find those relatives. So the caseworker's on the phone on a Saturday, has an interpreter, calls down to Mexico with the contact information they got from us, and she gets a hold of one of the uncles. She's talking to the uncle and says, hey, by the way, have you heard about two aunts living in Chicago? And he says, wait a minute. 30 seconds later, a woman answers the phone. Caseworker explains her story and says, do you know anything about these aunts? She says, I'm one of them. They had flown down that week. They were in the next room having coffee when that phone call came in. Oh, and the wow. caseworker is just going, oh, my God. Because first time that had ever happened to her in 17 years. And that's where the girls went. They went to go live in Chicago. Very mm. common. That's incredible. That's the type of story that gives you chills. Right? Well, the chills is that if they hadn't come to us, those girls would have stayed in foster care because they had no way of finding those relatives. That's one of the big problems in foster care is that people don't know how to look. And what they're doing is they're not looking. They're not trying mm -hmm. to look. And they're giving up. And unless, let's say a judge, this happens, steps in and says, you got to do better, keep working on it, that child may, go back to your example, stay in foster care from five years old until they're 18. That's the problem. Yeah, and that's where you guys try to try to avoid and, and help bridge the gap. Um, but what makes you guys so good at what you do? What makes you so special, Richard? You guys, they come to you. You guys are like miracle workers. It only took you three weeks to find these people in Brazil. How does that happen? Well, we're very good at what we do. But beyond that, I have spent almost three decades working with Latin America. So there's another side to me. I actually worked 
in international marketing. Some of my clients were Cisco Systems, AT&T. I worked with companies out of Europe. So I have lived in Latin America for more than 11 years. I've worked with it for over 30 years. I've worked with almost every country in Latin America, including Venezuela. So I've dealt with the government agencies. I know how to find out information and also had that gift. It was something early in my professional career that was pointed out to me that I had a knack of looking at information and pulling out what would lead me to find someone. I found government officials and then that rolled into finding relatives for people. And then that rolled into my helping foster kids, but it's a combination of all that and that we are constantly looking at how to work with agencies instead of just calling it in. That's the big problem. A lot of people call the embassy and they leave it up to Jorge or to Maria to do the job for them. And maybe Maria has got a stack six inches high and she calls it in and says, you know what? I tried. And maybe Maria really did try or maybe Maria didn't. And that's all you could do because they don't know how to do things. I do. I know who to pick the phone up and who to call. I know what their title is. I know where they work. I know how they work. And so I've got a team throughout Latin America who now has this information and training. And that's how we're able to do these things. Sometimes we close a case in as fast as 48 hours. Wow. So has that process gotten easier over because when you started this i would imagine there wasn't a whole lot of social media it wasn't so easy to go online and find people and then of course over the last 20 some years it's gotten more and more easy to connect you can connect with someone across the other side of the world within minutes or seconds even so has your job gotten easier in that regard because of the increase in technology it has gone easier absolutely being able to talk to someone our biggest challenge is actually getting that phone number. So we may know that someone lives in a particular city, let's say Houston, Texas, but we still got to find out. And even if we had the address, we still need a phone number unless we're going to get someone to walk up to the door and knock on it, which is uh, oftentimes impractical and sometimes dangerous in some of these countries. No one's going to walk up in that neighborhood and knock on the door. I actually had someone in a marketplace and the police were there. They said, okay, if you go down five blocks to the school and go to the left, it's the third house, but we're not going with you. It's gang controlled. And so, and you should not go there. And so nobody went to go knock on the house door because that was how dangerous the place was. That the police, not only was it so dangerous for the police, we were going to take pictures. And they said, no, you cannot take a picture of our face. You can take a picture of our back. You cannot use our name. We don't want anyone to know we had anything to do with you because we're going in those type of situations. What's something that needs reform? Every system needs something that needs modified, changed, improved, et cetera. What's something about the foster system that you believe needs reformed? First thing we need to reform is the budget. We have the budget tied to what's going on with everything else. So the first thing that gets cut is always welfare, which includes foster children. And then we have this crazy system of government where if you do a great job and you're very efficient, we're going to cut your budget. We've all heard about if you don't use it, you lose it. That can't work with kids. 
because kids come in and they need help. And we're not taking care of the kids anyway with the budgets that we have right now. They're not getting the right mental health. There's not enough foster parents. Caseworkers aren't getting training. All that starts with money. Bottom line, there has to be enough money in the system to take care of these things so that we aren't putting kids out on the street at 18 years old. They're going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in social services over their lifetime. As a matter of fact, in my book, Do No Harm, I talk about that this year, 23,000 kids are going to be aging out. That means they're forced out of their homes at 18. That's going to cost taxpayers $7.2 billion over the ne- lifetime of those kids. And next year, guess what? We have another $7.2 billion bill coming due every year. So there's real dollars attached to this. We could be preventative and guarantee those budgets so that people can say, oh, great, I know how much money I have to work with. Let me get my staff. Let me get the training. Let's take care of these kids. Richard, approximately how many kids annually are in foster uh, foster care? It goes up and down. But it's always over 400,000 kids. Wow. Holy shit. 400,000 kids on an annual basis. At Obviously, least. some of them are revolving because they yep. might last in the system for years, and some of them are new. Yes, yes. So it's it's constant. That's a we- monstrous number. That's a monumental number. It is. In addition to that, of that group, we have a hundred thousand plus kids every year who are available to be adopted, and then you have those twenty three thousand. And do I trust that number? No, I don't. Because the number always seems to be the same. Whether we get an influx of 10, 15%, somehow that number of 23,000 stays the same. But let's take it at face value. That's 23,000 kids, 18 years old, losing their home, losing a place to have food, shelter. Many have not graduated from high school. And now they're on the street to fend for themselves. Mm. Wow. Astonishing. Astonishing. That's a major problem. And you guys are obviously helping uh, wherever you can. You guys must be very busy people because having that having that ability to connect, especially with the Latin Americas and the Southern South America countries, um, that probably is a differentiator for you. I would imagine it is. It is. We are the only nonprofit in North America that specializes in that work. We are it, and we are so specialized. That on behalf of the federal government, we have also been looking for parents who are separated from their kids at the U.S.-Mexico border back in 2017 and 18. So we've been helping them find those parents where they took their kids away from the parent at the border. They're somewhere here in the U.S. Sometimes they know where they are. Sometimes they don't. They've lost a number of kids. And we go you find say their they, parents. You're talking about the government. I'm talking about the federal government. So the people were coming into the country, and I assume you're talking about people that were coming in illegally. They were not coming in through the system. Is that fair to say? Both. There were a there were yeah there were a government study that showed that roughly sixty to seventy families came in legitimately through San Diego, had all their papers, and they still had their kids separated from them. And the government took their kids and put them where? Well, they would put them into a federal holding area. This is where we see the pictures of the kids in cages. And then what would happen to these kids? 
the government would be working to find a sponsor pretty much parallel to the foster care system we've been talking about. So in the federal system, they will try to find a sponsor, which is a fancy word for usually a mother, a father, aunt, or uncle, grandparent, and put the child with that relative and have that relative take over and take custody of the child. Wow. So then what was, how, how are you, re, how are you guys reuniting these children with their families? Is it a different process? So it's very similar. The government had information on the parents. It wasn't very good information. So for instance, we might get, we, this is a real case. We had the name of the mother. We had one other piece of identifiable information and they said she lived in Guatemala. That's all they told me. We still found the mother, though. Where and, did you find her, Richard? Uh, she was in uh, Hue Hue Tenango. So she comes here. Let's assume she was not one of those 60 or 70. She comes in here with her children or a child. She's denied entry, but they take the child first, and then they send her off on her way? How does that work? So what they were doing for many of them is they would take the child and send the child to a special area, and they would put the parent into federal holding, into uh, could be some uh, installation along the border. Housing the adults was not a problem, but housing the children was, and that's where a lot of things went sideways. The government had really never separated families before. They knew that this was the mother, and they knew this was their child. They did not separate the two until a policy was initiated called Zero Tolerance in 2017. And that's where the government started to do this. And that's what uh, caused this humanitarian crisis that we're now five years into, where we still have kids who are as young or younger than five years old who have not seen their mother or father for five years. The parents were sent back to wherever they came from? Some were allowed to stay in the U.S., a handful. Uh, some were sent back across the border to Mexico. Uh, some were flown back to their country of origin. So many were, you know, handcuffed, put on a plane, dropped off in Guatemala City, for instance. And um, that's where those parents may still be. Have you personally witnessed your work with these children and these families? Have you actually seen a reunited ch child with his or her parent? You know, I wish we could see something like that. We're a lot like the Navy SEALs. We come in, we do the job, we get out. We don't stick around for the party. We don't stick around for the reconstruction. So um, one of these days, maybe I will get to see that. It's mm. very altruistic in that we do the job. We're the reason that those people are together and having that reunion, but they'll never know that Forever Homes is the reason uh. that that child is seeing their mom for the first time in five years. You're, you're the, the man behind the mirror. <laughs> there we go. Right? They'll never know it was you. Um, well, it's uh, uh, fascinating work. You mentioned your book, Do No Harm. Talk a little bit about who your book is for and what it taught. What, what's what is the main uh, uh, issues that you discuss? So the book is for people who want to know what happened. What was zero tolerance? What who were the people who initiated it? What happened in 2018 when the court said? You can't keep doing this. What has been the fallout from that? There was an executive order in June of 2018 that said we will reunite these children. 
that effort is still going on. And as recently as a couple of months ago, they highlighted how they reunited 500 families. More than 5,000 families were separated. So we're not even at 10%, and we're now getting into the fifth year of this. And back then, 2018, I was interviewed by ABC, and they said, is this going to happen? I said, no, it's not going to happen. This is going to take a long time. And I was exactly right. And so the book is about that journey, the failings of the federal government. The federal government is failing these families, and they're Mm -hmm. very specific reasons why they're failing and their strategy is failing these families and leaves the door open to what will happen to these families and also connecting it to this isn't just an immigration problem those kids are now ending up in the u.s foster care system and the foster care system is not a safety net and so now it also describes in the second part of the book about the u.s foster care system the problems we have there And also addresses, okay, how can we fix it? Just like you asked. That was a great question. What can we do to make it better for our own kids? Not to mention other kids who are being placed in the foster care system. So the book is for those people who care about children, who care about politics, who want to know what the dirt was, what happened. It's behind the scenes, personal stories. And Do No Harm is the name of the book. Okay. And we'll make sure that we link that up in the show notes, Richard. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's baffling to me when you hear these stories, because most of us are never see this side of life or society or this aspect and children and 400,000 and illegal immigration, legal immigration, uh, families being separated. This is the stuff that you guys are seeing. Um, so who, I just curious, who is hiring you guys? Is this the government that's saying we need your help or is it the families or is it both? Most of the time, it's government. So the counties, county foster care agencies across the country, nonprofits that are contracted by the county. A lot of people don't realize that foster care agencies don't do a lot of their own work. They contract it out to nonprofits who are specialized, just like we are. So there's that group. As far as the immigrants, there are a group of nonprofits that have come together to help the federal government. And... That group has come to us and asked us to do this work. And so we have been taking over their worst cases. Their cold cases have been sitting around for three years and solving those cases for them. And Mm -hmm. so I do want to say that someone in the government has been thinking about, okay, we're not succeeding here. What can we do to succeed? Unfortunately, they came to us. So we are now the last tier to help a family. If we can't find them, then no one's going to find them. And something else that comes to mind, Richard, before we finish, you mentioned these children that come in illegally. They're separated from their families. They may be in the system for several years. Some of them have never seen their parents. They don't know their parents. They came here at, at one years old or whatever it is. How do those kids get into a, a U.S. citizenship? Um, at this point, that's not even in the process. We have more than 600,000 kids who are under DACA and they were brought in similar ways, two years old, three years old, whatever age they've gone through our educational system. They're now 21, 22, they're adults and their pathway to becoming citizens is completely up in the air. 
So to extend that out to these children who were brought in as immigrants, who knows? And that's the whole problem. We have no idea. It's very much of a political football. Depends upon how someone feels, which parties in place. And so that's not a good way to run this immigration process. That's part of our problem. It's mm-hmm. so politicized. Nothing's happening because everyone's pointing their finger and blaming each other instead of fixing the problem. Shocker. It seems to be the, the way of the world these days, and it doesn't seem to work very well. Hey, uh, where do you want people to find you online, social media, website, et cetera? So they can find us on our website, which is Forever Homes for F-O-R, Foster Kids dot O-R-G. And on Facebook, we're very active on Facebook. We do have Instagram. They go to Facebook, just put in Forever Homes for Foster Kids. They'll pull us up. We've got 58,000 followers. Mm-hmm. And the book, Do No Harm, is on Amazon. And we welcome people to get the book. Proceeds from that are going to go help a foster child be reunited with their mother, their father, or their relatives and get them out of the foster care system. Richard, thank you so much for the work that you and your team continue to do uh, for all the foster children and families that are out there and uh, continued success to you guys. Thank you so much, Nate.